This podcast is proudly sponsored by Joro Protein, a Rhode Island plant-based protein supplement company designed for athletes and adventurers. They deliver 25 grams of protein, 5 grams of BCAAs, and 18 essential vitamins and minerals. It's non-GMO, it's gluten-free, it's allergen-free, no artificial flavors, no added sugar or stevia, and it has no additional gums, thickeners, or fillers. Right now, you can get 30% off on this podcast with the code JOROROADYSTRENGTH2022, and you can find them at JOROPROTEIN.COM. This podcast is brought to you by Phase CBD. That's P-H-A-Z-E. They are a local Rhode Island company who makes and manufactures a wide-ranging variety of CBD products that are formulated specifically for athletes. It doesn't matter if you're a CrossFitter, a strongman, bodybuilder, or powerlifter. These products are for you. These products range from tinctures to seltzers to even roll-on applicants. By supporting this business, you're supporting a local Rhode Island business and you're supporting this podcast directly. Please check them out at phasesports.com. What's going on, Kelly? How are you, sir? Good, good. Thanks for jumping on. Total pleasure. I'm uh, at a conference, so uh, hopefully the sound's okay. It sounds great. Yeah, it sounds really good. Um, nice, nice to see you. You too. Yeah, I was messaging back and forth to Margaret. She's like, oh, yeah, he's he's traveling, but uh, he's he's ready to go. I'm like, let's do it. Awesome. So I, I thank you for uh, accommodating that. Absolutely. Total total pleasure. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> what what do you want to get into today? Um, so I had a couple topics. Um, we're, we're recording now, but I'll do an official intro. But I had a couple topics that I wanted to see uh, kind of where you were at, where you wanted to talk about. So obviously I want to talk about the new book. Um, one, because I'm interested in it, and two, because I think that's probably on the forefront of your mind right now, so you probably got a lot to say about it. Um, I, I'm always interested in this whole PT landscape of... Um, so I'm a little background on me, so I'm part of Danny Matei's um, mastermind group. Haven't we met before? Yes, yep, yep. So, yeah, uh, I know. Yeah, okay, so I just wanted to... I'm sure you meet a ton of people, so I just wanted to uh, um, remind you on that one, or refresh your memory. So... Um, yeah, so I'm a PT, and I, I see on Instagram, and it's, I think it's been getting a little better, but the whole uh, landscape or outlook about how manual therapy has kind of been under fire um, against some of these like evidence-based practice um, charlatans or gurus, whatever you want to call them, um, which I, I get both sides of it, but I'm curious. That's let's, always talk something about, I struggle. Let's, let's talk about that for sure, because I think cool. we can actually take their perspective and try to understand it. I think that could be useful for people, you know? Cool. Yeah, I like that. Um. Uh, I want to talk about a little bit about kind of direction PT is going uh, as far as like private pay, cash-based pay. Um, <laughs> uh, I want to talk about, well, and and wherever the conversation leads, I'm totally fine too. Uh, the CrossFit Health Organization, kind of what's what's coming up with that. I just had a podcast with Dr. Amy West, so um, it, was, it was cool to talk to her and get um, some of her um, point of views on that. So She's rad. She's so awesome. She's really cool. Well, let's jump in. Let's go. Let's do it. All right. So, Pumate. what's going on, guys? Dr. Matt here, host of the Roadie Strength Podcast. Very special guest on today. I'm very excited to introduce Dr. Kelly Sturette. What's going on, Kelly? Nice to see you, my friend. Nice to see you. <laughs> so, I really appreciate you jumping on. Um, this is one I've definitely been looking forward to. Uh, you're uh, part of the reason uh, getting into PT school. I was, I was, uh, you know, someone I've looked up to, someone who I, uh, I really like what you do and and i try to make my practice uh kind of fall in line pause you. Yeah. do i have to apologize <laughs> yeah now or say you're welcome I, I don't know which one it is but maybe uh... both maybe both <laughs> so i, I actually, understand i had the book i have the book right here next to me becoming a supple leopard oh man so i had to pull that out uh, to show you wait till we uh, add the next 400 pages then it'll start yeah. to make sense <laughs> yeah so um i usually start these podcasts off with some rapid fire questions uh so, just these are interesting for me, and uh, I think they kind of get the conversation going. So, uh, first one I like to ask: I'm a big coffee drinker. What's your favorite coffee shop? Ooh, favorite coffee shop. The best latte I ever had in the world was in Santa Cruz, uh, next to Cross with Santa Cruz. Um, I even forget the name of the place, but I went back and they changed their machine, and it tasted different. Oh. <clears throat> I will tell you though, this is more importantly. We brew our own espresso at home. I currently am drinking Stumptown Holler Mountain, which is absolutely just such a stellar regular espresso. But whenever I travel, I try to OD on cappuccinos. Like that's my jam. 
And oftentimes I'll go away and I'll be like, Julia, I'm gonna see if I can get 50 cappuccinos. She's like, you're gone for four days. I'm like, we're going to see what happens. So, you know, I think you can titrate up until you have diarrhea and then, then you back off a little bit and you're right in there. So I love coffee. That's all. Awesome. I, I knew that. I knew that going in. So I was excited for that answer as one of, um, I think it was your Joe Rogan podcast. I think you had a podcast immediately after that. You were saying how you had quite a few shots of espresso before uh, the podcast oh, with him. Oh, that was bad. That was, <laughs> that was a, I had a bulletproof coffee and I was super jittery. And then Joe came in and got super stoned and we did not talk at the same level for like an hour and a half. Yeah. Hey, it was, it was a great podcast. I love listening to it. <laughs> I've and quick, quick um, uh, side route here. Uh, I've, a lot. I like really liked some of your early ones with um the Barbell Shrug crew when you were on there with uh you know oh. Matt Vincent and uh Mark Bell. Those are some great Those podcasts. Are great. Yeah, they're great. You know um what's fun is I'll just you know I know we have a lot to get to but hmm. you know I just always reminder to everyone that the internet can make you feel like you're alone as a sole provider, sole practitioner, or that everyone's a sole sort of operator. It's not true. Hmm. You need a squad. You need to have bright, smart friends like who challenge you and put up with your crap. I mean, this is really, I have some really talented friends. It's true. That's so cool. Uh, we'll, we'll keep on moving along. We'll go uh, favorite go-to breakfast. This could be a breakfast spot or whatever, like m- maybe your favorite thing you make in the morning. Currently, uh, my favorite breakfast, uh, man, I, I look, I'm going to give you two answers. One is food log, a breakfast burrito any day, anytime, any place, uh, uh, always. But currently, I take two bananas, sometimes one banana. I mash it up with a bunch of eggs, cinnamon, and vanilla, and then I fry that. And it becomes the greatest pancake of all time. And then I put in hot blueberries. So I'll smash the blueberries in there. And then my wife discovered this like sugar-free syrup, which is like crack. And uh, I cover a little bit of crack and a little bit of butter. And that breakfast will go the distance. But my friend Rob Wolf a long time ago called toast. It's like, he called it like the antichrist of breakfast. And I have to tell you, I make sourdough toast and sourdough toast, like with a cup of coffee, I'm good to go. <laughs> That's great. I wrote down that recipe, by the way, I'm gonna have to try that out. It's so good. <laughs> uh, next question. We're getting a little more into the PT side or the strength and conditioning across with us. I think we'll see where this goes. Favorite current instagram accounts that you that you like to stuff that maybe comes oh up that's really good one. or yeah yeah um there used to be this guy named the liver king uh no i'm just kidding yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's um, uh recent recent wound is uh it's open wound right now <laughs> there's a bunch of everyone when this was re- uh recorded liver king was exposed as a fraud yep. um everyone is shocked uh one of my favorite weightlifting accounts is venus weightlifting um, she is coach Gabby is this woman in China and she does such a great job. And I, I watch a lot of Olympic lifting, try to understand what's going on. So that's, I see that's my kind of current and then always, always obsessed with nature is metal. That's, we show that around. And then I just follow this new sourdough baking account that I'm obsessed with. Nice. The sourdough is making a comeback. <laughs> the COVID comeback. It's so yeah. true. Nature's metal is also a common answer on there, which I'm surprised about, but at the same time, not because that's a great account. <laughs> well, you probably watch Kook Slams, Jerry of the yep. Day, some of those, right? Yep. Those are all, those are on there. My daughters love, uh, we kind of have like, um, I have two teenage daughters. I have a 17 year old and 14 year old senior and a freshman and, uh, sending each other memes and Instagram videos is sort of a, a love language. I went heavy on raccoons for a little while. And then I kind of burned out on raccoons. <laughs> raccoons are cool. Very cool animal. Uh, we'll, we'll go to the next question here. A similar question, uh, favorite podcast that you're listening to right now. Again, could be PT CrossFit related. could be something else. Yeah. Uh, right now I'm still just, uh, there's so much going on in the world. Um, I listen to, uh, the economist and the Atlantic. I listen to both of those every morning. And then oftentimes I listen to the daily. So, um, if I can walking around or, you know, getting ready in the morning, I usually listen to one of those, those podcasts. So, so I know what the hell's going on. That's great. My uh, fiance listens to the daily. So I, during the morning when she gets ready, so I get, I get clips of it in here and there. So I only know half the truth. Michael Barbaro. <laughs> I, I uh, spend a lot of mornings imitating Michael Barbaro. So it's <laughs> no, good. Uh, we got two more rapid fire questions. Uh, next one, we have any books, favorite recent books, audible books, something like that. Whew, uh, I am, uh, that's that man. I'm always going. Um, I just, 
uh, started a book called Indigenous Continent, which has blown my mind. And it just came out and it is uh, written by a Finnish guy and it's re-examining sort of history, historical experience and the storytelling and the history of indigenous Americans and just sort of what we've come to believe is not the truth at all about indigenous peoples in the United States. And um, it's very, very amazing and very interesting. And it's like learning the history of where you live and how you grew up and, and, uh, and being feeling like you've been told a lie. <laughs> you know? Very cool. Yeah. I can't right. recommend that enough for people. That's, that's my boy. Nice. That's awesome. Uh, and then last question, I think we already, you said it off air, well, off recording. Uh, any travel plans coming up? You're traveling right now. You're at a. Uh, I, I, I'm yeah. down in SoCal. There's a storm going on, but uh, you know, I work with this company called H Wave, and um, we're just having their normal get together. So I'm just down here mm-hmm. talking to people who are talking to physicians and physical therapists about pain and swelling. Cool. All right. So uh, I haven't actually heard of H Wave before. Um, H Wave is a. Uh, you may have heard of Mark Pro, which yep. is the yep. same company, but this is the FDA cleared version and basically cool. is a uh, NMES device that we've had really amazing success with in helping patients manage swelling and congestion. Uh, and it's part of all our protocols because we can get so far ahead on swelling after injury and surgery. It's bananas. I kind of want to go off on a tangent a little bit on that because uh, I saw a uh, Instagram post the other day with um, uh, Squat University. He was on a podcast talking about ice. And uh, I had one of the trainers I was with send me that. He's like, oh, did you know we probably shouldn't be icing injuries? I'm like, I'm like, I, I mean, first person I probably heard say that was Kelly Starrett. <laughs> was, uh, well, let's, can we talk about that a little bit? What kind of the protocol is for icing now? Well, it turns out um, we've just everyone who's been managing ice or managing injuries, managing surgeries, we've just evolved our thinking a little bit. Mm. What we realized was um, certainly giving people pain relief was very important, but that we probably could do a better job at evacuating the swelling and that the inflammation was actually a really important part of the process. We've seen surgeons, we've seen people really back away from ibuprofen, for example, or NSAIDs around surgery, but it just turns out that by getting the musculature to contract, we could actually do a better job of dumping the lymphatics. And then you ask, well, what, what are the ways to do that? Can I walk? Can I move? Can I do quad sets? How many calf pumps can you do, you know, so it prevent DVTs. And so with an NMES device, it turns out we can do that 20 out of 24 hours a day, mm-hmm. which really we, I just saw a study that came out with a surgeon who, who specializes in shoulders and um, they basically have dropped their opiate use to like zero. And like, it's really been amazing. And a brand new study just came out or it's coming out being published. That's done at uh, a workers comp place where the typical average person was like, treatment was like nine years, like really people addicted to hardcore opiates. And they're getting like four out of 10 people were actually able to get off opiates when we gave them a different solution. So when this, this technology, so whether it's, enhancing sort of the speed of recovery and you know this will jive with it if you're a physio listening you know look we all know it's all about movement in the long run so creating a window of opportunity for people to move however you want to do that up to you managing congestion so that we can move super cool can't move enough how can we get more fake movement in there you know and really i you know i suspect some of the magic of these like devices is that we're just getting non-threatening input into the brain if your back contracts two times a minute for three hours, your brain is like, well, how many contractions is that of isometrics or, you know, without actually having to move the joint, but it doesn't matter. We know that isometrics are like tonic. So if you're getting that kind of movement into the system without a seeing an actual joint movement, I, I suspect that alone is magical in terms of de-escalating threat for people. And really the question is, what are we giving people? We're like, oh, it doesn't work. And then, you know, use this ice and then here's an opiate. And I think even shifting loci of control back to people is as powerful as any other intervention. Here's something you can do to make mm. yourself feel better so that you can move. I'm all in. I like that. And you said something at the end there talking about like, oh, this doesn't work. This doesn't work. Um, there's another PT who I really like and respect, uh, Mike Reinhold. Who, oh, yeah. Talking, yeah. And I think he has a really good, he's really in touch with, okay, the research says this, this is what works in practice. And there's just a lot of gray area. It's not so black and white. 
So um, kind of a transitional question. A lot of what we see as as PTs online right now, like on Instagram, um, you know, on social media is a lot of people that coming out almost like very polarizing with what they believe like, oh, if, if on one camp, maybe it's like, oh, if it's if it's not directly said in the literature, X plus Y equals Z, then we can't do it. It's, it's not, uh, you know, it, we shouldn't be doing any of this, like, like maybe even manual therapy at all. Um, but I think I, what I've seen is it's starting to come around almost maybe the pendulum is starting to shift back a little bit, but I don't know if, if you've kind of seen the same thing or you have any thoughts on well, that. Let's, let's think about, uh, let, let's kind of snap out, uh, take mm. a few, few versions back or a little distance. Let's look at how most physical therapy is delivered mm. for starters. I go see my doctor doctor prescribes physical therapy it takes me two to six weeks to be get a visit maybe i get a 45 minute evaluation or maybe i get a 30 minute eval and then it maybe takes me another two weeks to get back in like that's just speaking from experience here in san francisco with how impacted physio is in that session what is should be prioritized what is the intervention is it a conversation is it tracking some kind of behavior what thing am I going to hand this person as an ally so we can see intercession change so that we can ultimately get them back into their community, occupying their role in their family, society, whatever. Is a, a pavum, a passive joint mobilization, is that the best use of my time in that moment? And maybe I suspect that the people who kind of had a reaction to that were seeing that there was a lot of not active care given where we're talking about pain science, we were giving people loaded movement, movement prescriptions, discussions about sleep, all these other things. Instead, someone was trying to do a passive therapy to a person. And again, you can take manual therapy and define that however you will, right? I'm not in the room, which is something you should talk about, which is the fact that if we really want to get to the bottom of what is best practice, and you have you are the secret squirrel ninja practitioner, you're going to have to show me what your practice looks like. Cause there's a lot of people who fighting about their arguing about Kung Fu styles and you never see anyone's Kung Fu. I, I challenge anyone to go ahead and get, you know, get permission and then go ahead and film your conversation, your elite conversation as a physio soup to nuts, start to finish. Let me see your eval and put that up for the rest of us, put it up for the students so we can actually see how you're treating, what your interventions are, what your clinical reasoning is. Cause we, we, you can talk about, you know, to talk of bulls is not the same thing as to be in the bull ring. And we're seeing a lot of people talk about bulls. So I think the reaction from that crowd a little bit, who's not very transparent sometimes, was saying, is a manual therapy intervention, is that the right intervention for that, that moment? Like I do a, a manual therapy on your knee, and then you don't load, we don't talk, we don't change. You don't, maybe that's that le it's less effective. And so I think the, some of us who came from a little bit different treatment model, i.e. we had more freedom to spend time with patients, maybe we're like, bro, what's wrong with you? Why don't you like manual therapy? Because we found it as another, just another tool to, to help that person meet their movement goals, et cetera, et cetera. And it turned out it was very effective. You know, the way I treated for a long time, as an example, I'm not saying that's the paragon, but the first thing I would do is say, here's what I think your problem is. Do you understand what I think the problem is here's what you're going to do when you leave here then we're going to work on it together and then the last thing i'm going to do is actually do some kind of hands-on thing to you because it turns out that you know maybe it's really useful for me to do a mobilization on you but i need you to be able to get 80 percent of that effect by yourself somewhere else on your own and i get my own personal bias but the first thing Thing we did was say let's look at your movement let's look at what you're going to do in terms of movement and loading and isometrics etc here's your mobilizations to do restore your range of motion so you can do this movement and the third was you know is there is there a manual technique here that gets us to the end faster and and there are people who are not appropriate for that you know i had people come in on you know morphine and in chronic pain and and man i don't touch them <laughs> like you what you don't need is a manual therapy so when you cast aspersions like that and say that that's not, it's not doing what we're really talking about there, bottom line. And I think the real, real missed opportunity to, to get to the heart of it was that we were always talking and only talking about pain. 
was a manual intervention the right way to address pain? And if you go back and look at any of those conversations, it's always about pain. It's never about, well, I improved your your leg function or your flexion of your knee or your terminal knee extension, you know, and restored it. And then you had no knee pain. It wasn't about function. It was about using some kind of manual technique to manage pain. And I'm not sure that that is the best use. So keep in mind, again, two things. One was that conversation about pain. I think everyone agrees sometimes a manual technique and a passive technique is not the best way to help someone manage that. And two, what kind of situation was that clinician working in? Was that the best, most effective treatment solution tool to reach for? Mm. Probably not if I don't get to see you very often. I like that. So like in maybe in a, a scenario, let's say someone comes in and obviously it's, it's hard to say it. There's many different ways to approach every patient client situation, but let's say someone comes in and they desperately need some, you know, some squats or some knee, they need to strengthen their quads and all you're doing is rubbing on their quad and, you know, doing mass, you know, you, maybe you're missing the, missing the boat there, but yeah, to your point, like, I think that like I, I use manual therapy. I use dry needling. I think those are great tools um, to get someone to that that end goal. But yeah, I see what you're saying. If, if applied, um, applied appropriately at the right time, well, right context, like, like any other thing though, I mean, just, right. it just, it ends up being, you know, I, I think, you know, we, a lot of, we have, some of us have these really fancy manual therapy skills. They're super fun, but it turns out, you know, it's just ends up being another tool just as much as the psychology of interacting with someone or just as powerful as touching someone. And I think one of the things that ended up happening was that people stopped appreciating how powerful touch was you know mm. how many patients have you seen where someone's like well no one's actually touched my knee or no one's touched my ankle you know and you know that i got a lecture you know recently i inherited a, a patient who um was in a car accident and became a below knee amputee and you know the physio he was getting was once a week for four, for 30 minutes he was getting a lecture or like talking to and handouts and no one had touched his stump or his residual limb or no one had looked at all the other things or the scar tissue in his abs or his other ankle. And so again, let's look at the resources available and then all of the choices that you're making as a clinician. And then let's choose the thing that we think is going to get the person the furthest in the number of visits I get to see them. And if you're a cash-based PT, you may have more time and space to be able to explore a whole bunch of different things. And you might be able to see someone as many times as they need to see. And they're also highly invested. So mm. you can imagine that if I just have a patient who comes to the table, expects me to mobilize their shoulder and then go, and we haven't changed anything, I'm just going to use up my 12 visits and call it good. And then, you know, that's, that's very different than you getting paid when people are getting success and putting your, reputation on the line, your, your, you know, livelihood on the line every single day by the referrals that you're getting. So you're highly motivated mm. to make, do use all the tools to help this person achieve. Otherwise you're going to get fired and go broke. If you have an infinite number of patients coming through a pipe, once again, you're looking at this problem very differently. True. I like that. I, uh, I think we could go on talking about that for a long time, but uh, Holy I'm going I'm, <laughs> I'm to switch topics slightly because I really want to get into um, the new book you got coming out. Well, uh, thank you. Yeah. So Julie, Julie and I have a new book coming out April 4th called Built to Move. And, and this is actually based on what we're talking about. Mm. We wrote Built to Move as sort of a blueprint for behaviors that we consider to be base camp behaviors. <clears throat> What is essential, not diet and exercise, not which diet to lose mass and which exercises, but what are all the behaviors a human being should engage in to become a durable person? To, you know, this idea of longevity sometimes gets washed into like biohacking. I take this resveratrol, I do these things, I'm in a hyperbaric chamber versus I got sunlight, I slept, I ate micronutrients, I moved my body. And one of the things we're trying to do is that Julian and I, after you know owning a gym for 16 years and working in performance, is that we've left a whole generation of people behind. There's people who are very sophisticated with the nutrition science and, and they're tracking things and eating and they're lifting. It's not our problem. This is not a diet and exercise book. We need to invite everyone else because the amount of bullshit on the internet, and this is a great example of how Liver King 
and his deceit really has now done everyone a disservice because he's lied to everyone, made millions of dollars. Now you're like, well, everyone's a liar. What can we tell? So it's really gnarly what we're seeing. And meanwhile, people are like, wait, I had to eat all these. I have to be a fearful of food. I have to, you know, do this special. It's left people behind. And what I'll say is, again, if we take that framework back, we are more overweight. We are more diabetic. We are more depressed. We're taking more drugs. Like we have more ACL injuries. There's more low back pain. There's more surgeries. I mean, like, what do you give a shit about? Tell me one of those metrics has improved. And what's happened is that we're really starting to become hyper. I mean, our neighbors come to Juliet and are like, so which keto diet is right for me? And Juliet and I are like, holy shit. Like you don't eat enough protein or any fruits and vegetables. Like, what are you talking about? And so what we feel like with this book is it gives us the book that you could give every person of your family who's interested in improving their health. Every doctor could say, start here. We want to get you off blood pressure meds. Here's all the behavior, environmental component, lifestyle choices you can make. That'll get you there, including walking or right thinking about your set. You know, so what we've done is choosing kind of ten habits that we're trying to create as vital signs for people. If what we learned in the pandemic is that everyone understands what SAO two is and what their temperature is and tracking all that, and I'm like, well, great, you can look at how many hours you slept and how many grams of carbohydrate, how many grams of fruits and vegetables you're eating. We just are expanding the idea of the vital sign to include these things, which we know end up being pillars of health. So that's what we're going to try to do. We've made the book so that you can give it to your aunts. You can give it to your uncle. You can give it to, you know, our patient and say, start here. And if you're an elite athlete, because we have a bunch of athletes who've read it, it also makes the, it's all of these things have served the foundation off of which we've built and work on elite performance. That's yeah. built like a foundation for everyone. That's cool. Basically like, let's stop arguing about like which color rope you're going to take up Everest. <laughs> Like we're like, dude, let's let's get to base camp first. You're not even out of the <laughs> right. car yet, you know. Uh, there's something you said there too that I, that I think was really cool. Well, uh, two things. One, the whole Liver King, um, it kind of sparked something in my mind. How you know, full to see he's on Instagram, millions of followers. I think, I hope, I hope people kind of realize that's kind of the tip of the iceberg when it comes to social media, like influencers, especially in the health and fitness space. That there's a lot of people on there that looked really jacked that are probably lying to you. There's a lot of people out there. So make sure you're following, getting advice from the right people. Uh, it's tricky, <laughs> you know, and really, and it, how would you know? You know, how would I know? How would I know who, who's good at anything? You know, I mm. think that's, that's really the, it's tricky there, right? And it's really done mm. everyone a disservice because, you know, it's so easy to commoditize health and wellness. And, um, you know, it, I think he's done everyone a disservice. I think it's yeah. really, really gnarly. Uh, the other thing you said there was uh, all about the behavior and, and habits that are in this book. And uh, I'm I'm actually reading a book right now. I'm, I'm like almost done. I'm on Audible. Uh, Metabolical. Have you heard that one? No. It's a uh, We're a part of a – our CrossFit gym started a book club, which is awesome. Uh, so we're all reading the same book as Metabolical. It's it's very much aligned with the, the typical CrossFit diet, you know, very little processed foods, little sugar. Um, but one of the pieces of the book I just read this today or listened to it today was they're trying to help these obese kids. And one of the – the best ways they found to help them was actually bring the bring the kids in, their parents in, and a group of them made made the food for them, showed them that it was healthy, showed them how much it cost, and showed them how to make it. And that was one of the biggest pieces of success, basically building them the habits and showing them that, okay, this is what you actually have to do um, to, to get results. So the fact that it's like all behaviors and habits, and I'm a huge fan of the the book Atomic Habits too. So oh, yeah. Oh, that's, yeah. I think that's, that's where the game changer is. Yeah, and it really, I think when you start to look at any of these behaviors as you know you can apply any filter you like this is a self-soothing technique you know like if you're super stressed out you're going to reach for whatever mechanism you is you know you you have is that bourbon is that thc is that tv is that food you know people are self-soothing and once you understand that view on it around sort of these behaviors and how these behaviors get reinforced it really gives you a lot more empathy and gives you a different perspective on how you're going to change and sort of sneak people into other behaviors. It's, you know, we all, you've heard the John Berardi where, you know, he, precision nutrition, he had a new client, you know, and the guy's like, John was like, why don't you get a dog? Your first order of business is to get a you know dog. And the guy's like, well, I got a dog and I have to walk it all the time. And I lost 10 pounds. And John's like, yep. You know, and, and you know, and then he's like, okay, now, I need you, now I need you to drink a glass of water every day. And the guy's like, well, I can do that. And he's like, cool, we'll talk to you in two weeks, you know, and, <laughs> yeah. you know, and lo and behold, you know, so I, I think um, 
you know, one of the things that Juliet and I feel like is we have given people the biohacking elite performance group. There's this laundry list of stuff you're going to get to do every day and you're, you did it or did what we try to do is ask where are people going to have some agency in their day? So, and this, this works if you're working with patients or clients, where do they have control? And if you're talking to a busy person they're not going to get on the ground and roll out during the day, whatever, like I'm in my dress, like what, it's not going to happen. But what we see is that people have some agency in the morning to maybe do five or 10 minutes of breath work or go for a walk. Maybe they can sneak in a walk after every meal. And then maybe in the evening, they, if they were able to exercise cool, but in the evening, they might have some agency. And so what we really try to do is say, hey, where are all these behaviors, which we agree and are universal in their application around creating really healthy people, where are those things fit into a modern life? And I think exactly as you're saying, when you start to make things sticky and convenient, then they're more likely to do it. Hmm. I, yeah, I like that a lot. As as far as your book, was, do you say there was 10 habits in there? 10 habits. 10 habits. Um, is, it, is the book released yet? No, it'll be out April 4th. April 4th. And you'll see, if you if you speak strength and conditioning, you're going to be like, that's sneaky mofo. He's got people's <laughs> shoulder extension. That's all hip extension. This chapter is about hip flexion. This chapter is about being arms overhead. Really, I've snuck in lots and lots of isometrics, some really simple mobilizations, but really isometrics in a lot of key end range positions for people just to begin to restore their positions. You're going to be like, holy moly how did he do that and really it's all based in the other ideas right i feel like that's one of the toughest exercises to prescribe to people is the isometrics because they're so boring <laughs> so, i feel like <laughs> oh so we just now we, we just do we everything is measured in here on breaths mm. so take five breaths can you hold this position for five breaths right hold this position for 10 breaths and i think by sidestepping the time we just were able to get out of, a, you know, I'm like, I don't want to have that fight. So let's talk about breathing instead. I like and that. also you, you need to be able to breathe in a position. You know, what did Greg mm. Cook say? If you can't breathe in a position, you don't owe that position. So, True. you know, some of what we're trying to do is add in some movement control tactics into some of these end ranges in a sneaky, easy to use. I think it's going to be great. I think it's going to be the most important work that Juliet and I ever do. And I hope it gets, I hope it helps some people begin mm. to, to make, you know, make sense of their lives are we're getting the feedback from the people who read it. Like one of our habits is to sit on the ground while you're watching TV. Hmm. That's hip range of motion. You're going to fidget, you're going to 90, 90. And so, I mean, I think a lot of people have found that they can incorporate these things, which actually do end up making them feel better. That's cool. I'm excited for it. And I think it's going to help my, my practice too, as far as just giving me real tactical information oh. to give to well, people. You're going to be able to be like, read this book and then, <laughs> yeah, and then we yeah. can, you know, cause it really, you know, we, we always, I think, I think, you know, if my critique of supple leopard, you know, is one of the critiques is that it doesn't tell you what to do day to day, mm. you know, like, mm. you know, I'm like, well, how many grams of protein should I eat? And, you know, how do I think about sleeping there and which behaviors help me to go to sleep? And I well, can't put that in there. So for me, it's this, like, it's this user manual of what you could do every day. And mm. we talk about caffeine and alcohol and, oh, and wow. moving and, you know, and, and self-soothing. I think it's going to be great. That's cool. Uh, speaking of alcohol, is the uh, is the supple leopard tequila ever going to come out? Oh man, leopard's tears. <laughs> is that what it was? Yeah, yeah. We, I actually had to take April Fools off last year because no <laughs> because the year before people were so pissed that everyone listening we made a fake ad for a fake tequila. It was a functional tequila that had like aminos and vitamins and collagen. And people reached out and really were bummed because we we put it on our Shopify. Like you couldn't, you couldn't, we went down the road and people, we had distributors reaching out saying, Hey, we'd like to be the exclusive distributors of your leopard's tears tequilas. So uh, we, we couldn't do it. Hey, I had to take a year off. You always know, if, I guess you have, if you have a backup plan, you could just make tequila. Oh man, seriously. <laughs> what I wanted to do last year was, um, I went to Africa to go paddling and I wanted to, uh, hoping we were running into a bunch of hyenas because mm. I wanted to make hyenas milk, like protein from hyenas milk as like a, as an April fool's joke. Oh. And we we're going to set it up. And, but we didn't actually run into enough hyenas to actually make it work. Cause I was like <laughs> hyena milk. Like it's just weird enough that people are right. like, is this real? Right. You know, we're in Africa and we actually got hyenas and anyway, couldn't quite pull it off. So we'll see what happens yeah. this year. Hey, well, I'll be looking forward to it. April 1st. Um, well, all right, so we'll switch, switch gears slightly here. So, um, 
one thing I'm super passionate about is uh is CrossFit. No, by no means a great athlete, but uh definitely a, an admirer of the sport. And I know you've been very intertwined with it uh, pretty much since since you started. Um, and you're also um, involved with the CrossFit Health organization currently. Um, and I saw you. It was I think it was during the pandemic during the um, when they did the I think it might it was like a day long seminar where they had each of the different yep. presenters. They had you, Amy West, Sean Rocket. Um, and I just had the pleasure of speaking with Amy West in the podcast uh, uh, recently, but um, just want to get your thoughts. I, on call that. Her, I call her big brains. She's big brains. <laughs> oh, she is. She is. I, uh, I felt bad cause I was just hammering away just for my own personal. Um, uh, I wanted to know about like stem cells and PRP and all that stuff, but That's so uh, great. Yeah. She was, she answered the questions really well. Um, but yeah, any, anything coming up with that? Anything um, uh, kind of on the horizon for uh, CrossFit health? Uh, to my understanding, uh, I think they're just a little bit in a, a holding pattern. I think they're still mm. trying to develop, but you know, what's happening is, um, you know, CrossFit, as you know, is in a moment of equilibrium, trying to figure, find its feet, figure out what it wants to do. So, mm. you know, uh, there's always some, some movement. I've been seeing some courses, but, uh, we're trying to get another course set up through as an SME. We've had to put a pause on them. Actually teaching it this weekend will be the first course i've gone back into crossfit with a crossfit sp specific course it's called p3 mm. pain position and power and we're tr basically we've skimmed all the cream off all our courses over the years and we're just doing a one day if you're in pain what should you do as an athlete where are the tools available to and then have an assessment with some really simple pieces so we want to create a pain and an assessment course for crossfit and so we're, we're launching that back out and, and that was a, you know part of that was trying to be part of crossfit health so that we could turn CrossFit also into a better real-time diagnostic assessment. Mm. That's cool. Yeah. Um, I saw something recently they posted about um, they're, they're doing like a level one course for healthcare providers. I Something like that. I'm, I'm not sure. I, I just scrolling across my Instagram feed. I'm like, Oh, that looks cool. But uh, yeah, yes. you know, I, you know, what's interesting of course, is that there are tons of physicians mm. and physios who are already doing that. Right. Yeah. You know, so, you know, look, I think, um, I think they, they've got a lot of dogs they're trying to fight right now mm. and uh, a lot of balls in the air. And, you know, we know that, you know, creating community and regular movement, high quality movement that's teaching towards the highest expression of movement, which has always been a tenet of CrossFit, even if it always hasn't been expressed in that way in CrossFit. But, mm. um, you know, I think we're seeing that I believe that some of the best coaches on the planet that I know are CrossFit coaches in any sport at any domain are they're the most sophisticated best coaches on the planet. I agree with that. And they're extremely passionate about movement and, you know, skill, um, progression, and programming, programming. Oh, it's, it's, oh, it's man. bananas. Take someone like Yami Tikkanen, look at Rich Froning. I mean, mm -hmm. if you just understand how sophisticated some of these people are, it's really, really, they're remarkable thinkers about, training people and what's fun to see is continuing to see that as the base for what i'm going to call sports preparation training i think mm. crossfit in its original uh iteration was good gpp as self-described but then i think a bunch of people realized that we could tweak it up a little bit and make it more about sports performance and sports preparation by looking at foot pressure or looking at what's happening with transfers i think when CrossFit started, it was like, well, as long as you're fitter and do more work, you'll be better. And that was a fine argument when no one was fit, no one was skilled, no one was strong. But suddenly we're seeing that people are coming in. No one pukes anymore anywhere in the world because we have Peloton and various boot camp and, you know, Orange Theory, and people are working really hard. And CrossFit's been around for, you know, 20 years. So one of the things we're starting to see is those coaches figuring out how to take CrossFit style, CrossFit based programming and actually work with athletes doing sports. The problem I feel with CrossFit as a sport by itself is that you can't actually do CrossFit as a sport and actually do another sport. The, the metabolic demands, the, the, the challenges of that are insane. But if you suddenly start to tweak, you realize we have a great template to make athletes in other sports besides Olympic lifting, right? Better. It's super totally. cool. Yeah. I'm going through uh, my undergrad. I was an uh, exercise science and I um, went through and got the CSCS, like through the NSCA and was like infatuated with all how they, like, you know, show all these studies and all that. 
And then uh, once I got out of college and, and PT school, I went, I started doing CrossFit and didn't really realize there was any beef behind the scenes between the two <laughs> um, and went to the level one course. And, Ooh, bro, uh, we all done this. It's all good. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And um, uh, the stuff they taught, I mean, it was all legit, like by the book, really one of the best. Um, one thing I will say that I didn't love about the, NS, uh, the NSCA CSCS testing protocol was it was in a computer lab. <laughs> So, and the CrossFit level one course was all basically hands-on like movement, like watching people move. So it was just, it was a fantastic, it was at uh, the Reebok world headquarters with um, Austin Maliolo, um, Connor Murphy, uh, those guys up there who are awesome. Um, But, uh, oh, my, my point of that was I had this uh, conversation with my friend a lot, how um, a lot of the CrossFit based stuff seemed like kind of just like lab experiment, like groundwork type, like, oh, if we throw this into a workout, how does that, how do we respond to that? And that, and it's almost like they've been performing their own experiments since the creation of CrossFit to kind of figure out how these workouts affect people and move. Um, and I don't think the the NSCA side of things where they're actually like going into the lab and, and doing research and doing studies. Um, I think there was definitely some people who clash um, with those those two polar opposites of like, okay, we know this works. We don't actually have a lot of the studies to, to back it up that way. But um, at the end of the day, it's it's effective and it's working. It's making people fitter. Um, and even to bring up uh, Liver King one more time, I don't know if you watched the YouTube video of, of um, Derek, More Plates, More Dates. Uh, he did an hour long. Uh, I guess he was doing CrossFit twice a day. He wasn't He wasn't doing a lot of the barbarian stuff. He was actually doing CrossFit. So just kind of another way to say, okay. Uh, well, you know, believe it or not, a long time ago, <laughs> um, Greg Glassman said, the best way to put on mass is to do CrossFit and steroids together. Like he said that outright. Then he said CrossFit. And then he said bodybuilding with steroids, or maybe it was like, you know, CrossFit with steroids, bodybuilding with steroids, CrossFit, then bodybuilding. And, you know, I, you know, what we know is how are you defining fitness? And I don't mean like in a hundred words or less or increased work. I mean, I think one of the reasons we got, early gains in CrossFit is because we ask people to be competent in dumbbells and barbells and kettlebells and to learn the tenets of basic weightlifting and learn how to run and program some monostructural stuff. And what ended up happening is we had people who became a lot more competent at transferring skills more effectively. And that constantly varied ended up meaning, can you show competence with a dumbbell, with a kettlebell, with a barbell, all going overhead, even mm. though they're slightly different? And then I flip the athlete upside down. I'm like, show me you can do a handstand. Show me you can, right? So it's still overhead positioning, but under so many different other iterations and considerations. And then you started to see people bring in periodization and more intelligent programming because when you're a beginner, it doesn't matter. You know, I mean, like, like my 14 year old daughter, I can throw anything at her, you know, and she gets stronger and better. And I think that's where we used to be in the beginning. How many people were overhead squatting? No one was overhead squatting. So it didn't matter. What mattered was the overhead squatting. And then I came to really understand that I think one of the things about that made CrossFit so interesting and became a tenant in my own thinking was that we traditionally were, weren't using exercise complexity as a programming tool. CSCS and we sure as hell weren't using speed as a programming tool mm. and we absolutely weren't using cardiorespiratory demand as a, as a conditioning tool or as a training tool so great you can press this empty barbell over your head 10 times now do it with your heart rate at 190 and what we were saying is oh no 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 you, you'll you'll blunt the adaptation of the strength overhead but meanwhile we were starting to see that as more about coordination and efficiency and maintaining the skill, even at unloads. And if you look at the original CrossFit loading, it's super moderate. 100 kilos for 45 reps. Are you serious? You know, 45 pull-ups over the course of a workout, like that's high volume. It's super low volume, right? Even the, even 10 to 1 is only 55 reps. So I think what you end up seeing is that we had real moderate volume at low loads, but done with the heart rate really high and it exposed everyone to the fact that they weren't very good at managing these positions. And so for us, suddenly we realized as physios, I was like, Oh, I don't just have to make it heavier. I just need to put this person on an exercise bike and then come over here and have them practice their goblet squat again. Right. Three limb exercise biking and then slow tempo landmine press will kill someone. 
you know, and what we, what that did as a physio is it gave me a whole nother way of challenging someone's movement and tissues without having to just make it heavier and add more volume. Mm. Yeah. I like, I like that a lot. I think, yeah, to your point that the programming aspect has really come a long way. Um, oh, yeah. Quick example. I have a, oh, yeah. <laughs> I have a client who um, I'm working with, who I'm collaborating with uh, their, they have a virtual coach. Um, this guy, um, uh, Rene over at training think tank, who's a great coach. Uh, and uh, he was showing me some of the program. He's a uh, low back injury. He showed me some of the program he's doing. And this guy, um, uh, his virtual coach programmed in uh, Stuart McGill's big three. I'm like, really? Didn't know you knew about those. I thought that was just a PT thing. I'm like, wow, the worlds are really like blending together. Everybody's learning from stuff from each other. So I thought yeah. that was pretty cool and a great testament and to like, wow, like these guys are smart. <laughs> yeah. And McGill is not a physical therapist, is he? You know, so I think, right. um, you know, what I think what we always should be doing is, you know, anytime we're working with a person, we're making a hypothesis. Mm. And my hypothesis is that you sleep more, you'll feel better. Right. My hypothesis is that if you walk more, you'll be tired enough to go to bed. So all our health behaviors ultimately on incomes, inputs and outputs, right? What gets measured, what get, gets managed. You know, we've all been based on test retest here at the race forever. Test retest. I don't, mm -hmm. I don't believe you. You have to show me that you made change. You have mm -hmm. to show me that you're, you know, so always our objective measures have been range of motion, which is sort of unequivocal. Everyone agrees and biomotor output. So the thing is that I'm, I'm saying is that if you have full range of motion and we do this, you're going to run faster. You're going to lift more weights. You're going to do those things. And I think that's where one of the places it's a snag for a lot of physios, because you can do a lot of low level, low skill, low speed, low intensity movements in shit positions, and you can have some stimulus, but that stimulus was about tendon loading. The stimulus wasn't about expression or coordination or efficiency. And and so suddenly when we started putting that a little bit more nuance into, it didn't matter, you know, if you watch Greg, um, uh, who was, no, no, uh, uh, it'll come to me. Um, he is um, doing Fran in front of like Jim Wendler or something like that at Westside. And um, he is going up and down super fast and his feet are all over the place. Like every foot position is crap and his knees are making circles and his shoulders are in a different position every single time. What you see is, wow, there's a lot of making mistakes and poor movement coordination there at the expense of a lot of work. And mm. that's the statement that the West side coach makes is, well, I see a lot of movement variability. So if I was trying to teach this as a high skill movement, that's less effective. But what we've seen now is that these athletes have become robots, not in a negative sense. They've become so skilled because the efficiency matters so much. Justin Medeiros's efficiency is getting bananas. You know, Rich's efficiency, Matt Frazier's efficiency, you know, all of those people, I don't mean to only choose men, but you know, just as a, as a role, but what you're, we're starting to see is that we can transfer that back into biomotor expression. And we just grabbed that early on in our, in our positioning. So we started to care more about how a movement transfer than can you just do more reps because that doing just more reps in something doesn't make you a better athlete and a more coordinated athlete. Totally. Yeah. And, and people at that level, you're looking at them like, okay, where's, where's the holes in their game? Like, I don't see any, like, how could, how can they possibly get any better? It's your, it's your parents' <laughs> genetics. That's the yeah, problem. Right, right. You chose the wrong parents. And I, yeah, I had the a, work volumes, the work volumes that people are undergoing for cross right now are insane. Mal, Mal yeah. is a really extraordinary young person. Yeah. Haley, Haley is a mutant. I mean, I've spent some time with Haley. I call her a friend and she's one of the most exceptional athletes I've met. That's super cool. Yeah. I was, I was talking with this, uh, someone the other day. I'm like, I think I don't, I'm, we probably already are seeing, I'm just not paying attention, but I think we're going to be able to predict like who's going to be winning the CrossFit games. Like as they're coming through the teen ranks, like these people that are just winning, like at like 16, 17, 18, we're going to see like, okay, this person is gifted bearing any we'll injury start to bear, have, yeah. yeah we'll start to have the 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 metrics for them to be able to handle the volumes to work that hard mm. um there's actually uh, i think i saw a piece alan cousins put it up on twitter and um i think he was saying that you can predict or someone was able to predict whether you're just going to be a national team or an international pl soccer player based on your hrv alone and that wow. hrv was such a discriminator between national level player, international level player. I played premier soccer. 
I'm a good player, right? I'm mm-hmm. a college athlete, professional athlete. And HRV was a significant determinant about whether you could handle the volumes and to be able to work up. And I think we'll start to have those same metrics given enough time that if you can do this, you have the potential to have the genes to be able to handle this kind of volume to be able to go to the games. That's, yeah, and that's something, as far as I know, that wasn't even on my radar until like a few years ago, the HRV data at all. Until I got a well, <laughs> right, and then thinking about it as, you know, as a metric of not necessarily, you know, day to day, but what what is my HRV? How what does that mean? And is mm-hmm. it related to a whole? How does that relate to performance? I think we haven't seen lots of people get comfortable with saying we expect this kind of HRV data in our elite athletes. What we've seen is, you know, your HRV is good, your HRV is bad. You know what I mean? I think, and and maybe that's a less effective way of thinking about it. In terms of your recovery, it's another mm. data point. But mm. taken as a whole, we can see trends that, man, if you aren't able to express huge amounts of uh, variability, you probably are going to be a good CrossFit gym box athlete and not even a regional competitor. That's crazy. Yeah. Excited to see the future of that. Um, well, you know, what? what's fun is how skillful and intentional these athletes are. And let me say shout out to so many great CrossFit coaches that I know and that how sophisticated and dedicated the athletes are. Um, you know, I just, what what's happening in CrossFit right now is, is as significant and, and legit as any other professional sport. And right now I'm working with team England. Let me just tell you, go come on England. That's uh, we're in the world cup right now. I've been working with this team for two years and uh, my CrossFit athletes are working as hard and are as sophisticated as the national English soccer team. Wow. That's cool. Shout out. Um, I, we're getting towards the end and I have a, I do have another question on that, but I have two other topics I want to ask you, but we'll, we'll, see, we'll see where we go. Um, All right. One of them. So I know um, you had a knee replacement uh, a while ago, right? Was yeah. it a couple years ago now? Two years ago. Uh, um, Kind of wanted to see how that whole experience was for you. Just as a PT, I tell people, and this could be wrong, I hope it's not, but uh, hip replacements, those are pretty easy to recover from. Knee replacements, uh, it's going to be a little harder, a little more painful. But uh, I, I don't know if you've had the same experience or kind of how that was for you. And 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 what, what brought you to the point where you're like, okay, I need to get this done? Yeah. Uh, well, according to functional patterns, it's because I have squatted all the way down that I've injured my knees. Um. And I, you should never squat below 90 because that's what is, because I've created, uh, what was the word? Flaccid ligaments was the (laughs) term he put. So it's weird, but only happened to my right knee, (laughs) not my left knee. Um, Did he he actually, did he actually say that? Yeah. Yeah. No. And and, um, I just want to set the record straight on the internet here that (laughs) nine years ago, I was skiing very fast Mm. and I booted out going about 40 or 50 miles an hour on my skis (sighs) and I slipped and then the ski caught as I was sliding on my right side and I just put a little bit of energy into my knee and I crashed and stood up. It was just a slide out. Like it happens a thousand times. I slid out a thousand times and I stood up and my wife skied down and she was like, what happened? You know, she's like, you're covered in snow. I was like, Oh, I sprained my knee and I skied down. (laughs) But what had happened was I put my femur into my tibia and created two kissing bone lesions. So I crushed both surfaces of the joints and had a lot of swelling because there was, you know, a lot of edema in there and I got an MRI a couple months later because I couldn't work out why I was continuing to swell, et cetera, et cetera. And I skied and continued to train, do everything. But uh turned out they just told me you should replace your knee as soon as you're possible. And I was like, I think I got a few more miles in here. So I managed the swelling and managed it. And then after seven years of, of dealing with the compensation, of limiting certain movements, of, of exaggerating other things. It was starting to bug me and interfere with my ability to hike with my family or ski all day, um, things like that. And um, I, when I went in there and talked to the, the doctor for the San Jose Sharks, I talked to the head of orthopedics at CSF, I talked to a bunch of experts on this. Everyone's consensus was that the only good option was a knee replacement. And mm-hmm. I, I couldn't do a chondroplasty. I couldn't do a partial and um, when they got in there, it turns out, again, I, I didn't go in for knee pain. I had positions that didn't feel good and positions that felt like electricity, but not day-to-day, no knee pain, no ache, nothing. Mm. It would swell, and that was my big concern. I had full range of motion, terminal extension. Mm. But when they got in there, I had a huge damage in my trochlea 
from my my kneecap grinding in and it was because the knee had been so chronically swollen for so many years mm. that we know that that is a really like an accelerator of degradation on the on the joint surfaces and it's interesting is that we have always said in our clinic hey we take swelling seriously because we're going to it's going to limit your range of motion because it's going to shut down your force production and over time it's it's hard on the surfaces of the joint and i got taken apart by the PT community once again, who was like, swelling's not a big deal. And I think what they heard was I was making an emergency, but really in our athletic populations, we were saying, Hey, we need to take care of this because you're not going to be able to handle these kinds of forces, joints, et cetera. So they got in there and they were like, Holy moly, this is real. And I'm happy to share any of the pictures of the inside of my knee. And you'll be <laughs> shocked at how gross it looks in there. And yet no knee pain. The problem was I had grindy feelings when I would lunge or I had positions like I ran. So I uh, ran a Spartan in half, like a beast in September, and then had my knee replaced end of October. So just so we're clear, I, I was still working on it, but I couldn't work it out. Like I was like, I can't find a way to run that feels good, mm -hmm. you know, and it turns out the inside surfaces look like a, a shit show. So I end up having a total knee replacement and I end up having the most conservative knee you could. It's cemented. It's been around for over 10 years mm -hmm. and uh, I couldn't be happier with it. I can do whatever. Let me just repeat. I'm going to swear here, swear warning, cover your ears. <laughs> I can do it. whatever the fuck I want. <laughs> Ski hard, jump off things, backflip, deadlift. I, I do limit my power claims to hundred kilos because I just don't know <laughs> what that it's, sheer force looks like. It's a good amount. So I just, I just do 225 power cleans all day. <laughs> nice. Um, it, how was, was the rehab painful for you or, or how'd it go? What I learned early on um, was that I had, so I had a couple problems with the surgery and uh, pardon me, everyone's heard this, but one is they actually had a hard time cutting my femur because mm. I had good bone density. And mm -hmm. it just goes to show you as an anecdote, they went through, uh, they were on the third saw when they finally were able to make the cuts. And the reason I mentioned that is I'm not a mutant. I was like, you should see my mutant friends, but it speaks to the fact that how poorly they do this surgery on people who are healthy, are mm. strong, are right. And what they're typically doing it is on people who are very, very low bone density. So they were really shocked. The second thing I think is interesting is when they cut the capsule, I bled and bled and bled and bled. And that really shocked them because most people's capsule capsule isn't very vascularized. And my friend, my best friend, who was the joint rep for the area, was in there, and, and the the resident was like, "Whoa, what's going on? You know, he's bleeding a ton. Everyone's kind of freaking out." And he was like, "Hey, he is an aerobic athlete. He's been training aerobically forever, and what you're seeing is capillarization." So, I had really good capillarization in those tissues and blood. Those were the two, I think, indicators that people weren't really prepared to handle young people hmm. who have real high expectations. So my expectation was hundred percent return to play, do everything that I want to do. That was my expectation. And I can kneel and jump from a kneeling position. If you go to the ready state Instagram, you can see me jumping off my knees and landing in a squat. That's after my knee replacement. And what I'll show you is, you know, I have, I can kneel, I have good flexion. I can do that knees behind toes guy, Knees over toes guy, you know, bends lean back where you're in a squat, lean back. I can do all of that. I have an wow. insane range, but I worked on it obsessively and I did not assume that their typical guidelines were enough. And I want people mm. to understand that those typical guidelines I think are reasonable, but they're not where the limits are at all. Cool. So I was very conservative. I didn't push things. I didn't, didn't, you know, but at 14 weeks, I deadlifted 575 because I was like, there's no reason why I'm, I can't. I saw that video. <laughs> and that was a misload. And, um, <laughs> but the idea is, I think the bottom line is that I just took the same ideas that we use in CrossFit or CrossFit programming or in working with athletes. And I scaled them backwards for my own self. How do mm. I progress this? I set my goals and then work backwards. My goal was to be on my bike at 12 weeks, riding my bike. I was on my bike without, you know, clipless shoes at 10 weeks, but really riding at 12 weeks. But I worked backwards to make sure I do I have enough range of motion for this? Do I have the control for this? You know what I mean? Et cetera, mm -hmm. et cetera. So I think what I realized is that we've set the bar very low for most orthopedic outcomes. And all I really did was manage my swelling and use things like BFR 
and H wave. And I was able to maintain my muscle mass. And yesterday uh, we were shooting in the, in the studio and uh, one of our, the head of our production couldn't tell which knee I'd had operated on when I was standing. Wow. There. And she was like, which knee is it? I can't even see your scar. And I was like, perfect. That's, that's the goal, <laughs> right? <laughs> that's incredible. That's very cool. Very lucky. Well, Hey, um, we're at the, we're at the top of the hour here. Um, I really appreciate your time. Um, I don't want to keep you any longer. Um, I do have uh, one last thing I usually leave people off with. Uh, so the way I describe it is the, the main highway here on the East coast, we have a uh, highway 95. So I usually say, Hey, you have a, you, this is a Tim Ferriss question, which actually I, Funny side story. I, I looked up uh, some of your podcasts and I saw you're in episode number three. With Tim Isn't that amazing? <laughs> yeah. No. Tim is really uh, one of my, he's, he's an old friend of mine. He's been a friend for a long time. So, so you, this is, you've heard this question probably then. So uh, you get a billboard on 95 that basically something to tell the people it could be a quote mantra saying uh, mantra or saying um, basically something to just like tell the people of your community. Be consistent before you're heroic. I like that. Palma. The next one is sleep. I get two nice. billboards. <laughs> nice. Literally, like you've got to sleep. People, you're asleep. You're you're sleeping like shit. You you need to worship your sleep. Love it. Well, Kelly, thank you so much. We'll end on that. Thanks, man. Awesome. All right, Rody Strength, we are signing off. <laughs>